Uh, I've used some of these before. I want to share with you just a couple of uh, comments that were made. But uh, the following were actual responses from comment cards turned in at Bridger Wilderness Area in Wyoming. Right? Here's some of the comments that the, 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 some of the people had. The trails had too many hills. The coyotes made too much noise or made too much, yeah, too much noise last night and kept me awake. An animal came into my camp and ate my food. Is there a way I can get reimbursed? <laughs> Somebody else said there were too many rocks. And then here's a good one. There were a lot more, but I picked out a few. But here's a good one. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. <laughs> Well, as we can see, these comments and these uh, complaints indicate these people didn't understand what it, uh, what it meant or didn't really want a wilderness experience. Uh, they weren't prepared for that. They didn't mean, understand what it means to stay in a wilderness area. They wanted something, what, convenient? Uh, something comfortable, not a true wilderness experience. But you know, in the same way, in a similar way, many people today don't understand what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. The churches are filled with people looking for a convenient and comfortable way to follow Christ. And last week we started looking at uh, this matter of being a disciple of Christ for uh, a three-week period. We talked about the call to discipleship. We said every child of God is called to be a disciple of Christ. Not just a follower, because we said followers, can, you can follow from afar. So we look at this matter of disciple, and last week we said the disciple is one who fully submits to the authority of Christ in their life. And a key word there is fully. Fully submits the authority of Christ in their life. The word literally means a learner or a pupil. It has the idea of being an apprentice or, or a journeyman. And so it's more than just knowing the facts. In fact, I know people who know this uh, and when they have a photographic memory or what, but they, they have this book practically memorized cover to cover but they're not living it. And so we can, it's not a matter of, of knowing the facts, it's a matter of living and applying what we know, what we learn. That's what it means to be a disciple. If we're going to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, there's some things, I, this morning I want to talk about the cost of discipleship. This is going to be fun this morning, all right? <laughs> I'm going to talk about the cost of discipleship. If we are going to be committed to be a, a true disciple of Christ, it comes with a price. And so that's what Jesus is dealing with here. And the, the three things I want to bring out here that we need to yield to Christ if we're going to be a true disciple. All right? Uh, and so if we're going to be a true disciple, number one, we're willing, willing to yield personal priorities. Personal priorities. Verse 25, 26, we already read them, but Jesus said again, verse 26, If any man come to me, hate not his father and mother and brothers and sisters, uh, and his, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This is the first thing I want us to notice, though, before we even go into what he says, is who he's talking to. Who is he talking to? He's talking to those who were the great crowds of people who were following him. These were not, uh, these were not, some, uh, these were not the Pharisees. Okay? Uh, these were not some uh, who, who were uninterested or antagonistic towards Christ. These were followers. They were interested in following and hearing what he had to say. And so he, he's writing uh, to, but we understand, we see that these were not, this is why Jesus addressed this, these were, uh, they were casual followers. They were not true disciples. 
They were willing to follow him as long as it was the popular or the easy thing to do. This crowd was like spiritual window shoppers with their curiosity aroused when they saw the miracles and the wonderful things that were happening. They heard his teaching, but as soon as Jesus was arrested, guess what? They were gone. Most of them were gone. They disappeared. And so they were willing to follow Jesus as long as the cost wasn't too high, as long as the price wasn't too steep, the demands too great. You know, they were like many today. Many who look to Christ to solve their problems, uh, to bless their lives, but who lose interest when they find out it might require a change in their behavior or in their priorities. They're part, I've used this term before, they're part of what I call fast food Christianity. They want it quick, cheap, and to go. No commitment involved. Jesus addresses this mistaken understanding. In verse 26, it sounds harsh to us, doesn't it? It says, if you hate not your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother. That sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Well, I think we need to understand how the word hate is used in Scripture. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, in the reference to, I'm trying to think, in Romans chapter 9, Jesus talks about uh, Jacob, <coughs> excuse me, Jacob and Esau. And how he loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. And what does that mean? Does that mean he despised Esau? Excuse me. I'm catching my throat. No. It wasn't an expression of God. It was not an expression of God's feelings or emotions. It was an expression of his will. That God had chosen Jacob uh, to fulfill his covenant, to, to carry on that, that uh, seed, that line that, that came directly to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's used as a word of comparison. And Jesus said that our love for him must be superior to all others, okay, to everyone else. That's what he means here. Uh, he's addressing the matter of priorities in our life. Our loyalty, our obedience to Christ must come before our loved ones, must come before our, our careers, must come before our goals in life, even, he says, must come before our very own lives. Our loyalty, our obedience to Jesus must come before anything else. And let me say this, if, if we stop serving God because of somebody else, because of what someone else says or does, then our focus is on the wrong person. I don't know how many times, I cannot count the number of times people have come to me and, and uh, I uh, said, I'll never fill in the blank again. <laughs> I'll never join another church because this happened once years ago. I'll never serve in, a, in that position or serve in an elected position again because of this bad experience 5, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years ago. <laughs> I had a bad experience. I'll never do that again. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever had You've been to a restaurant and you had a bad experience, a bad meal, maybe it was a service, maybe it was the food, whatever it was. Can we all, can, have we all pretty much been there? All right. Did you stop eating? <laughs> huh? No. No. What'd you do? You went where the food was good, but you still ate, right? 
And so if something has turned us off, that's no excuse not to, to get back where we need to be and to, to serve God. Verse 27, he says, Whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I talked about this, I don't remember if it was last Sunday morning or one of the messages recently, but about bearing the cross. Just understand, his listeners knew exactly what he was talking about. They were more than familiar with the idea of carrying a cross. It was a horrible way to die and a terrifying thing to watch. It was a slow, agonizing death. Torturous means of execution. And yet we sometimes hear that phrase thrown around, don't we? That's just the cross I have to bear. Uh, my friends laugh at me when I, when I share the gospel, but, but uh, or when I talk about God, but that's, I guess that's just the cross I have to bear for being a Christian. Listen, he's not talking about an inconvenience. He's not talking about being embarrassed. He's talking about going all the way to our death, if necessary, in order to remain obedient and true to his name. And so again, we, uh, I think many would, would probably, in, in the church today, would be like Peter. Oh Lord, I'll, I'll, I, I'm, I'm all in. I'll go with you to the very death. We know what happened to Peter, don't we? <laughs> Uh, so we, but, but I'm all in, but yet most, most, or many, can't give God more than one hour a week in the house of God. Uh, many, uh, many can't uh, spend five minutes a day in prayer or a time alone in the, in the Word of God every day. And yet we claim, well, we'll go all the way, let alone they're giving their life. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to make me your priority. Obedience to him, a priority. A disciple of Jesus Christ must be willing to yield personal priorities, and that's hard. Yielding our sometimes leisure time or, or uh, uh, personal uh, uh, priorities in our life. Secondly, this morning, not only does a disciple need to yield personal priorities, but secondly, we need to yield our personal plans. Look at verse number 28. He goes on. He says, Which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether you have sufficient to finish it, whether you can afford to, uh, to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. He gives another example. Verse 31. About a king going to war. He said, what king doesn't sit down and count the cost? Whether he's going to need 10,000 men or 100,000 men. Verse 32, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth, not, or desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever be of you that forsaketh, verse 33, forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. And so there's some times we have to give up our personal ambitions. Oh, we want, and let me just encourage the young people, uh, when you're considering, you say, well, I want to do this, or I'd like to do this someday, uh, shouldn't we rephrase, or use different terminology, shouldn't we say, God wants me to do this? We should, even as a young person, we should be convinced that, that uh, God is the one giving us our desires and our direction in our life. But as adults as well, obviously, we have a lot of personal plans. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and I've got this all worked out, all planned out, just make sure God is on the ground floor, okay? 
of, your, of those plans. But in these two illustrations, Jesus expresses one simple but pertinent point. Just as it's prudent, it's wise to consider the cost of building uh, a tower, is the example he gives here, a building. Or before going to war, so it's necessary to consider the cost and commitment to follow Jesus. Why? Because exactly what he says there in verse number 29, where he says that lest he build the foundation, he can't finish it, and then people just scorn and mock him. God does not want a half-hearted commitment that only exists when things are going well. You know, anyone can be faithful when things are going well. Anyone can obey when it's, when it's easy. So many excuses that, uh, that we use. What's why we can't obey God, why we can't do what, uh, what we know he's, he's called us, instructed us to do. And I, we'll go through all the excuses, but we use excuses. We use excuses of family again. He talked about that. We use excuse of, uh, of again of personal uh, plans and other things in our life. Well, I, I can't do. It. I've got all these other things to do. I remember I, I heard one time about a lady, or, or read a story of a lady who uh, was uh, an elderly lady. Uh, she was uh, uh, deaf. Her, her eyesight was she, she it was hard for her even to see any any longer, but every Sunday morning she lived about three blocks from the church. Every Sunday morning she'd walk those three blocks and go to church, even though she couldn't hear, couldn't see much. And finally, one day, one of her friends asked her, "said Why do you still go to church? You can't hear anything. You can't you can't even really see much of anything. Why do you keep going to church every Sunday?" She said, "Because I want people to know whose side I'm on." <laughs> well, excuses. John 6, verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Many of his disciples turned away, went back, and walked no more. In other words, in other words, they, those who had followed him simply dropped out. They quit. They quit. And so if we are not willing to pay the cost to go all the way, then we're better off not committing to serve him in the first place. Or else we'll be nothing more than a half-finished tower in an empty field for people to point at and mock at. And it's not about us, okay? It's about the testimony of, of Jesus Christ. But they'll stand back and they'll say, I knew it! I knew, you, I knew it, would, it wouldn't last. I knew you weren't sincere. I knew that you wouldn't do what you said you would do. It would be used by the world as an excuse to mock and reject the faith. And so we need to count the cost. And then having counted the cost, we need to finish the task. Listen, I've got news for you. There are people watching you. There are people watching your life, just waiting to say, I told you so. I told you so. And so to be a disciple of Christ, we must be willing to yield our personal priorities. And we must be willing to yield our personal plans or ambitions, counting the cost, going all the way. I know it's not the last point, I got a little quieter in here, but that's okay. <laughs> Thirdly, finally, not only must we be willing to yield personal priorities and our personal plans, but... I guess maybe this might even be harder for some. 
We must yield our personal possessions. Look at verse 33. He kind of sums it up. He says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not, what? What's that next word? All right, we're in chapter 14, verse 33. If you've fallen asleep, look at it. What's that next word? Likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That little three-letter word, A-L-L, it's a pretty inclusive word, isn't it? All means all. Our most prized possessions, our free time, our money, our goals, our dreams, and more. Now, we may not be asked to literally give up everything. But again, Jesus is going right back to this matter of the attitude of heart and that in which things uh, that he takes priority over everything else in our life. We must be willing to forsake anything that interferes with following him faithful, with be, faithfully, with, with being a disciple of Christ. Now, I'm not just talking about sinful things. At times, even good things get in the way. You must be willing to give all for him. And again, it's easy to say, isn't it? When it comes to doing, it's a little more difficult to put it into practice. But that's what a disciple is. That's what a disciple is. Look at verse 34. He kind of uh, wraps up with this another statement. He says, salt is good. But if the salt lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. What are we called to be? Salt and light. But we're the, we are called the salt of the earth. Now, again, salt has many properties. Uh, in those days, it was used greatly as a preservative, but it's a flavor as well. It gives people a taste, uh, and, and uh, uh, it makes it palatable, okay, if you will. But it's a great preserve. So we are to be the salt of the earth, but it says if the salt loses its effectiveness, what's it good for? Nothing. And just throw it out. And the dunghill, you know what that is, but throw it out. Uh, it, it's, it's not fit for anything. It's useless. It's kind of like gum with no flavor. You ever? Yeah. Uh, they, okay, I'm sorry. We're going to take a side note here just, just for a second. Uh, they don't make gum like they used to, do they? I haven't had any for years. But for one thing that, that irked me when I was maybe a teenager, I guess, I don't know, but they, they stopped making solid gumballs. Remember that? It's these hollow shells, and so you got to... But anyway, the, the taste goes away in about 30 seconds, and it's what good is it? You're just chewing on, you might as well chew on leather, okay? <laughs> uh, so what do you do with it? Throw it away. Or some people throw it on the ground in the Walmart parking lot, so I step in it, but that's, <laughs> that's another story. But no, we throw it away. It's, it's good for nothing. And so my question is, well, the question to you is, if salt's lost its, its usefulness, its savor, what good is it? And so, if we are not doing what God has called us to do, what good are we? Can I answer according to what he says? Good for nothing. 
good for nothing, but be cast out. Some of Christ's followers were nominally committed. Some were truly committed. Many weren't committed at all. So the question this morning is, which are you? Which are you? Are you a nominal follower? Are you a, a true disciple? Or maybe you're just not committed. Maybe you're just an observer. What excuses are you holding on to this morning that, as to why you're not obeying God when it comes to serving Him? Let's be honest, we all have them. Okay? What excuses are you holding on to? Holding back from being obedient to Him? I mentioned this before, but Billy Sunday, the pro baseball player from the early 1900s, we know became one of the most famous uh, evangelists, famous preachers the world has ever seen. But Billy Sunday said this. He liked baseball analogies, obviously, but he said this. Stopping at third adds no more to the score than striking out. His point was, it doesn't matter how well you start if you don't finish. No matter how well you start if you don't finish. Listen, discipleship is not an invitation to a Sunday school picnic, but an invitation to spiritual warfare over a long period of time. But what's the good news? The good news is God has given us everything we need to be victorious. Everything we need to be obedient to, to follow Him, even in the midst of adversity in our lives. Discipleship is not based on shallow enthusiasm, but on solid commitment. And you know, no one can go back. No one can go back and make a brand new start, but all of us can start from where we are and make a brand new ending. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't quit. You may have been injured. You may have uh, battle wounds, scars, but stay in the battle. Stay in the battle. It's worth it. It's worth it. I shared during Miss Narita's funeral some things Narita would want us to know. And uh, one of those things, we, she, she'd want us to know where she is, and, but one of those points was she'd want us to know it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it to serve the Lord. It's worth it to commit uh, our, our, ourselves, our lives to Him. He'll make it worth it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. As the message has gone forth this morning, in spite of some technical difficulties, the word has still been presented. Now it's up to you to respond. I can't make you respond. Uh, and uh, anything I, uh, I mean, by anything I say or do, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's up to you to respond to what has been presented this morning. So I wonder if you would just take a moment and ask yourself, what excuse am I using for not obeying fully Remember, we said the disciple is one who submits fully to the authority of God in life. Again, I can't answer that question for you. You can't answer that question for me. It's, all, it's a personal matter between you and the Lord. But, Lord, ask yourself honestly the question and then listen for the answer. What am I holding back from you? 
and then give it to him this morning. Would you do that? You say, I want to be a true disciple, holding nothing back from serving him. I'm going to give you just a moment to do that quietly, and then we're going to stand and sing. I don't think we'll, we'll play or anything, but I think we'll just sing maybe the first verse of I Surrender All. Bless, I'll give you a moment just to, to ponder, to let the Lord work in your heart. The altar's open as well if you'd like to come and, and uh, spend a few moments before him. But just where you're at, if you would deal with your, your heart before God.